Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Part two of Conversations with Oscar Combs featuring Brooks Downing picks right up with the hiring of Tubby Smith in 1997. Brooks will also give us some insight on the 1998 National Championship team and Brooks will take us through Tubby's final season and how the pressure affected him. We'll get to Brooks' thoughts on some key figures throughout the University of Kentucky Athletics Department during his years, including former players. Brooks will get us up to speed on what he's been up to since he left Kentucky, and you're going to enjoy Oscar and Brooks debating about the relationship between Coach John Calipari and Coach Rick Pitino. Bo Robinson with you, and if you're not careful, you might learn something in Part 2 of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Brooks Downing. My recollection was that that was the, really the only guy CM went after. What do you do? You, do you remember anybody else being a part of that? Well, I mean, before before Link had even been drowned on Rick making his announcement, do you told me it was Tubby? So I didn't think yeah. about anybody else. It was. I mean, literally, the announcement was six days later. So I think within within seventy two hours, CM already had Tubby bagged, ready to go. And we got to remember, Tubby had been here as an assistant on one of Rick's earlier earlier teams. And, uh, I think he was either one or two years max. Two years. He was here two years and went to Tulsa. Um, Came from South Carolina, I believe. He had been with George Felton at yes. South Carolina. Yep. And, and so was up here as a quote-unquote recruiter. I just – you know, like any other assistants, have been buddies with Tubby, so it made it real easy when he came back. And I'll never forget, we announced Tubby, and Donna comes in and goes, we're sitting in Tubby's office afterwards, uh, the basketball office there, and she goes, oh, I'm just so glad to get out of Athens. There's, like, real restaurants and real shops up here in Lexington, and, and that favorite restaurant of mine, the, the Italian place. And I said, the Italian place? And Marta's sitting there, and I'm sitting there. It's just us two in the room with her. And she goes, uh, yeah, 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 what's that Italian, really good Italian place? I said, Bravo's? You know, Coach P's place. And she goes, no, 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 it's out by the mall. I went, out by the mall, the Italian place in front of the mall? Uh, <laughs> what's it called? Jeez, uh, now I went Blake all of a sudden. Olive it's still Garden? there, Olive Garden. <laughs> she goes, Olive Garden. I went, Olive Garden, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> Still there today. <laughs> that was her favorite Italian place. She couldn't wait to get back to. So, so Tubby <laughs> comes in, and he's got a club that I don't think very many people thought would make it to no. the Final Four. Now you now you're two years removed from the greatest team of all time. Yes, with guys that redshirted. Yes. you know, and, and folks, you know, Jeff Shepard had set out uh, the year before. You know, we didn't even talk about that. Mm-hmm. Any at all. Jared Prickett was out ninety six. Yeah. Shep was out ninety seven. And, um, and and to Shep, uh, you know, at the time that that happened, I'm like, he's going to set out. Crazy. You know, it's crazy. But from what I understand, is Rick told him, you can play, but you're going to get a whole lot more time if you set out and get even better. And it wasn't really get any better. You just weren't as good as the other ones I got, and your minutes are going to be limited. But if you wait a year, you will get stronger. You, you will be just as good, and you'll get a whole lot more minutes. And only Shep would do this. I swear, only Shep would have, would have done that. And as that season went along, it, it sort of bumped along. Bumped along. Uh, had had this and that. And there, there's been a number of the players who've tell, told me over the years, it got to the point where – they needed to have a players-only meeting. I wasn't in that. It was a players-only meeting. Well, so I, I heard players-only. I heard the same <laughs> thing you did. You no, know, they, they needed to take better control because a lot of it was, you know, Tubby was pushing and pulling, trying to figure out what he had and who he had. He had a situation like Cameron Mills. 
Cameron comes off the bench against, I believe it was Florida at Rupp Arena and uh, early in the conference season and goes for like 17 and nine minutes and then doesn't get back in the game till there's like seven minutes left in the game. And we, I think we lost that game too at home. And then we turn around with the Ole Miss game. Uh, Rob Evans was a coach at Ole Miss and they beat us on, was it February 15th of, of 1998? Either the 14th, I think it may have been Valentine's Day, the day before. February 14th, they take a hit and go down. And I can remember going into Coach's office there at Rupp Arena and see him being in there with him and see him just kind of consoling Tubby. He goes, man, I feel like we're right there. And I'm thinking, I'm like, that's right there. We just lost at home to Ole Miss who's never beat us in Lexington. And I'm thinking, we got some problems. <laughs> We're not right there by any means. And uh, and then on top of that, then you start losing. Alan Edwards loses his mother. She passes away. Jeff Shepard in the SEC tournament has a severe ankle sprain and can't hardly go. The, go and we'll be lucky to get him back the next week for the NCAAs. All these things start happening just as we're starting to gel. But then you start noticing little things that were going on that followed that team meeting. Had, not having been in the team meeting, I can't tell you what was said. I heard, you know, they, they want to take greater control. We're going to win this thing. We need to do this, this, and this. You know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's it's empty talk until you see it, right? Cameron Mills on our podcast told us that the players are not only meeting. He said a lot of the players weren't buying into Tubby. And as a result of players only being the team decided that they were going nowhere the way they were, so they were all going to buy in for better or for worse. They were all going to buy in for better or for worse, but here's what you started seeing, that if somebody got the hot hand, if somebody was doing something that was making it work that day, that's who we're going to ride. And we're going to make sure Tubby gets on board with that, so too. So any any perceived, like it is in the NBA now, a rotation basis, you didn't stay with the rotation if somebody got hot. How many teams – Can I, I'll ask you this question, Oscar, and you'll answer it. How many teams did we beat where Wayne Turner just absolutely took over the game? It was a Wayne Turner show. There's no, You can name one. You can't name two. You know what the one, one was? Down 17 with nine to go in the regional final in Tampa to Duke. And Wayne Turner took it upon himself. Wojo could not stop him going to the hole. And they fed him and fed him and fed him. And Coach K ran out of timeouts too quickly. That was great. They just kept calling him every chance they got. Every time they were about to fall out of bounds. And they, they wanted possession. And, and, and possession Tubby, was more important than timeouts. And, and Tubby was very, very smart there with about two or three minutes to go. He needed a timeout. But he needed a lot less than Kay needed. He did. And they didn't, he didn't take call it. it. No, Tubby, Tubby had a feel and kind of figured things out. Now, a week later, we're playing perhaps the two best guards in the country on Stanford in the semifinals of the Final Four. And they were really probably the better team on paper and played a great game. If you remember, we were down again in that game. And here we come back. And who was it? Jeff Shepard. Time and again. And they kept and, feeding and, and I thought the unforgotten, or not the unforgotten, but the unsung hero throughout that was probably Hashimu Evans. He did all the little things. You're exactly right. And 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 was a big lift. Uh, the passes, the defense, did a number of – and the bigs played well too. Now, you know, remember the year before, Nazi couldn't hit a free throw in the championship game. Now he's like the guy. And Jamal is coming in and playing great off the bench too, the big leaf. Um, and they're doing well. But it, it became a situation where they felt like they could go back to Tubby and say, Tubby, you got to do this. I don't think they felt compelled to do that prior to that meeting. So was it a matter of that final championship game, the weight literally be lifting off Tubby's shoulders, like, okay, he's our coach now, we can forget about Patino? Um, I I think that how a lot of people felt that was close to the program is that he came in and established himself fairly quick because he had gotten hammered so much during the season with the various losses that we did have and the style of play and, and all of that. I mean, it was interesting. It, you know, it, 
they weren't getting up and down the floor. They weren't pressing. In fact, they were, you know, slowing things down. You can see George Felton standing right up right now going, tell him to slow it down. Tell him to slow it down. And and he went from where he was scoring 80 and 90 points a game at Georgia to now he's scoring 70, 75 points a game at Kentucky. He got a little bit slower as he got up here on style of play. So everybody's pushing back and everybody's picking. And then, of course, you know, you have the all factor that comes in after all of this. Um, and and then just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you know, it's one of those things where when Tubby was coming, Rick told him, do not bring Gigi. It's not a place for him. And so he left Gigi at Georgia. And Gigi would have come. He left Gigi at, at, at Georgia based on coach's advice. With Saul, um, nobody saw Saul as being as good as Gigi. And so he wasn't a threat to anybody. He wasn't. He wasn't supposed to play. Or at that least much. perceived. No, threat. it wasn't. He what the the Although perception he was. He wasn't supposed to play that much. Yeah, but he did play a lot. Play a lot, a lot, especially like oh one, where they needed him. But a I lot. mean, on a championship team, I think he averaged close to ten minutes a game. Yeah, and that was okay. It was it was intermittent spots, and we didn't get much pushback from that. It was after Wayne graduated, and now he takes over the starting. How role. much? How much do you think that fish that affected Tubby's? Recruiting of a point guard for four years. Oh, I think it not only affected Tubby um, recruiting a point guard, I think it also recruited Tubby and his image with Kentucky fans because I think they held that against him something awful. And the, the, the comments that were made to him, um, the, the, the way that Saul was treated by even the media, Cutler and others, uh, Rick didn't, I mean, Tubby didn't think was fair. Um, just just a variety of things. That was a lightning rod for Tubby. Had that not been a part of it, shoot, I I wouldn't be out of school to say Tubby might still be here today. We're comparing apples and oranges here, but how does that figure into Brad Calipari here? Even though Brad is not playing in a first half, or even most of the games like Saul did, and and there's no comparison between. The talent level, either. It, for it, yeah, it is hard to compare, and and the talent level too is obviously it's a different day and age of Kentucky basketball. But you know, to be honest, I know. I mean, Saul was a fine player and could have played at a lot of minutes at a lower Division One school, not at a Kentucky, uh, and had a great career and been you know been a chosen one. But but here um, they were expecting him to play Brad Calipari minutes, and when he played. A starting role and played 30 minutes, um, that that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Next year was a, a, a very, very good year. Things were still happening good. You got to lead eight. Yeah, we were leading Michigan State in St. Louis in the second half, and then went cold. Just couldn't buy a bucket. And then after that, it seemed like the wheels fell off. Part of it was recruiting. Um, the demands of the job got to Tubby. Uh, the off-the-court demands. Yeah, and I'll even put it in perspective. When he went to Minnesota, um, I went up and met with him shortly thereafter. And I said, Tubby, I said, let's do this a little bit different. Let me market you because, you know, I've got my own business now, Oscar, and I've been on the private side since 2003 when I left UK. So, so Tubby, a couple years later, even calls to tell me he's taking that job. I mean, we were pretty close there at the end, and um, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get over it. Uh, so I go up, I said, well, I want to come, I think I can help you make a little extra dollars. Let me do some marketing for you on the side. And I put this whole proposal together, um, much larger city, great banking community, all these opportunities for Tubby to do endorsements and Minnesota didn't care because they never had, they never had somebody that was that type of a name on their basketball bench, right? Tubby Smith, national champion and all that. And he goes, Brooks, I'm sorry, man. I just don't want to do this. Tubby, I'm, I'm, I think I can make you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he goes, I'm exhausted from doing all that at Kentucky with the, the rights holders, with my foundation. I just need a break. I don't want any of that. And that told me in that moment that the program had become so dominant, such pressure and so many distractions that he couldn't just do the one thing he wanted to do. And that was coach basketball and recruit. I mean, they, uh, case in point, 
Sean Finney tells a story. Sean Finney was an assistant on our staff. And you'll remember David Lee, who's still playing in the NBA, mind you, that played for the Gators way back in the day. And he had four teams after him, Florida, Duke, Kentucky, and one more. Well, Sean was like, Tubby is so busy, I can't get him to make recruiting calls. So what are you talking about? He says, this David Lee kid out of St. Louis, I have to drive over to his house and put him on the phone. With, I have to go in and say, Tubby, David Lee, talk to him and hand him the cell phone. He said, he said, you don't understand, Brooks. He, he, he's just too distracted. He's doing all these other things, and I can't get him to work. I'm calling David Lee. Guess who else is calling David Lee? Coach K's calling David Lee. Billy Donovan's calling Coach uh, David Lee. Sean Finney's calling David Lee. Well, guess who David Lee grew up loving? The Wildcats, because they were winning when he was impressionable. Mm-hmm. And now I can't get the head coach to call him, and he's going to be an all-star. And sure enough, he was, and we didn't get him. That was just a case in point of how, how how it's hard to manage this program, and that's why I Mike Pratt called me and asked me what I thought about uh, about Coach Cal when Gillespie leaves left, and I was already working with Martin Newton to get Coach Cal interested in taking this job, and I said Pratt, why you want to know? Are you doing something with the job now? Oh yeah, I'm going to help Mitch and Dr. Todd. I said, well, here's what I would tell Dr. Todd and Mitch is that there's not a better guy to handle all the pieces and parts of this deal than John Calipari. And and if he's got reservations, just tell him two words, Sandy Bell. Put Sandy on John. Let him watch Coach Cal. Let her watch Coach Cal. If there's any issues, she'll clean it up. She'll take care of him. He'll, he'll do exactly what he's supposed to do, and he has. But – it takes a certain individual to come into the Kentucky basketball program and be all that you have to be. A coach Patino has that. Tubby, he's not cut out for that for the long term, and we saw that happen. Coach Cal couldn't be a better person. You left here in 03 or left the university program, mm-hmm. but before you left, team turmoil. Yeah. I think that was 02. 02. O two, yeah, that was uh, we we kind of turned it around in O three and got rid of it, but it was it was all started with Rashad Carruth. It, you know, you, you can go in the was locker room. Was that a bad decision? Oh, horrible! But but you can go in the locker room, Oscar, and and the locker room tells you a lot about a team. And this is from an outsider, right? Uh, again, I wasn't one of the players. I wasn't in there sweating it every day like they were. But you you see things, and like those great teams we had in ninety six and ninety seven. Was, was that was that recruiting of Caruth sort of a fight back from his inability to get some players of that high caliber in 99 and 2000. He was, I mean, look, he was at Oak Hill. He was one of the top players in the country. Yeah, but he also, he also had, had baggage. Had he had yeah, baggage. he had baggage. Well, you know, Tubby had a pretty good way of taking, keeping kids pretty straight in line. Didn't have too many problems other than Jules hopping over the back seat and all that stuff. But uh, for the most part, kids stayed out of trouble with him. Um, I don't think it was as much of that. I think it was an easy get. Does that make sense? Because there are other people that did back off of him. Um, but if you look at the locker room, what I was going to tell you is you get guys like a Cameron Mills and a Mark Pope and a Jeff Shepard and an Alan Edwards and a Walter McCarty and a Tony Delk that know what their focus is, know what their mission is. Some of them are very, you know, Christ-oriented. It became a very wholesome place and then you speed ahead and you get a Keith Bogans how about a Keith Bogans who loved to talk smack to everybody all the time administrators other players whomever he didn't care you know the one guy he couldn't talk smack to Rashad Carruth (laughs) and I if you ever want to see Keith Bogans get punked it was in the locker room with Rashad Carruth and now you had two type a personalities that didn't get along in a locker room that became quickly fractured. I, I, I'd i seen Carruth go for 22 points. I go grab him to take him out to do radio for postgame. Coach comes over. Coach, Coach Smith comes over. Good job, Rashad. Way to play today, buddy. Pat him on the back. And as soon as we turn out the door, Tubby turned the other way. Rashad, smart off right just under his breath. It just it just was a bad bad deal, and it all started with this little core guys. 
and it just spread throughout that locker room, and it just became – it was a hard, hard – much harder there, season than most people even realize. I think, there was a, I think there was an episode or two maybe at the SEC tournament in the team hotel. Well, you, you had the whole – not the year. Is that with Gerald Fitch in the year yes. that we had uh, – we yeah. lost to South Carolina on Friday yes. night? Yes, Yeah, imagine going up the elevator getting yelled at, at by fans when you get off the elevator on your floor because they spent all their vacation money to come down for the SEC tournament in Atlanta. One for one night, and and we didn't play Gerald Fitch because he was had a girl in the room or something afterwards. Yeah, after curfew, yeah. it was. Uh, so so you come back in '03, which turns out to be your last year here, but you didn't know that at the time. Right. Uh, what would have the Tubby Smith era been like? Would it have changed had Keith Bogan had not had that sprained ankle if they hadn't run into Dwayne Wade in the Elite Eight? I would have liked to have seen us with Keith Bogans with a sprained ankle not play because that's what was scheduled to happen. And the team had kind of rallied around, we've got a fallen teammate, right? He can't go. He's got a bad sprained ankle. We got Marquette. We're, basically, we had two road games, if you remember that region tournament, because you had Wisconsin, who's the next-door neighbor, and they had filled up that Minneapolis dome. And then next day you have you got Marquette, and they brought all their people um, as, as well as the Wisconsin fans who came back to cheer for Marquette against us. And so we're basically playing two road games. But our our players were so focused on picking up the slack for Keith not going to be available. And Keith was having a great season at that point. And then we go in the locker room after the last warm-up, right before we come back out to start the game, and Tubby put the starting lineup on and reinserted Keith. And Cliff Hawkins and that bunch were like, what? And so it was almost as if with that one move, one stroke of the chalkboard, the air went out of the room. And, you know, we, we, we were battling from a deficit from day one. Now, Dwayne Wade went on to show us that he could become uh, an NBA all-star. But, you know, it, it, there was, that was what was a little crazy is you look at Dwayne Wade today, and, I mean, there was a, there was a discussion in the Metro Conference or whatever if he was even player of the year that year. <laughs> It was between him and some dude at Louisville. I can't remember who it was. Let's, let's flip around a little bit and, and talk about some things that happened during your career. You were going and ready to go in your last year, but what do you remember most in, um, when Singletary resigned and Roselle came in and took over and he made the decision to push both Cliff out and then Eddie, and then less than a year or a year and a half later he – leaves and Charlie Wethington takes over. Did, did you see an effect, any effect from that transition carrying over into athletics? Honestly, for me, Oscar, I was so young at the time, it was harder for me to observe it than, than it was for, for, for folks that, that had a few more years on them. You know, what I do recall, though, is with Roselle coming in, it's this outsider's making all the calls now. And he wasn't one of us. And he was agreeing to everything the NCAA wanted, and he wasn't fighting it. Uh, why aren't we fighting this? We we could never have done any of this, and um, it, it was just it was just real difficult back in that time to to sit there and and watch your favorite program just be hammered in every way, shape, or form. And you know the NCAA is just like the you know the burial burial service. They just put you six feet down, and you're done. And so then when he leaves, because the pressure was too much for him, he didn't come off strong with it. And you know what? Donors are donors. And universities have to raise money. Yeah, universities have to raise money. And so he had to go. And so here comes Dr. Weathington in. And Dr. Weathington just, it was almost kind of a relief, I think, for, for the better he part. he was family. He was family. He was part of the, he, he got it. He understood it. He knew what it would take. And, uh, and yet, you know, when you look at a CM Newton was now in place already, Rick Pitino was in place. Weddington was like the last piece of the puzzle. And so that made you feel good about life. I mean, even had Hal Mummy coming on board, you felt like that was a great hire at the time, um, which I think it was for the right reasons. It just didn't, <laughs> they got a little loosey goosey, but, uh, <laughs> you know, with all that said, it, 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 it um, it, it it turned out for the best. And I, I think Dr. Wethington's, uh, you know, did a wonderful things for the university as did Roselle going on to Delaware, I think, and, and doing what he 
did best at a program that didn't have athletics as a primary tool. You know, that's where he belonged. We we go through the Wellington tenure, which is roughly a decade, mm-hmm. late 90s, and then the How Mummy era mm-hmm. comes in, and it sort of implodes at about the same time that CM is getting ready to retire. And Larry Ivey comes in. Yeah. Was Larry ready for the job? Oh, more than ready. He'd been the, the steward, uh, the, the loyal assistant for 30 years. So he was more than ready. Um, he inherited a difficult situation four months into his tenure when the, this was announced in that November, or it may have been five months, but that November of, uh, uh, what was it, 99? And, um, uh, you know, it, it became a difficult situation once that book was wrote, written by the assistant coach, Tony um, Franklin. Franklin. And uh, that's where it put some people in a difficult spot because it called him out as being uh, being part of the issue. And, How difficult um, was that for you as being a spokesman for the university? Oh, I tell you what, um, we had to – we were getting picked apart, and that was my first time being the guy. So I'm head of the department at this point, and um, and – you know, everybody's got relationships in the media. And so we finally had to have a little come to Jesus meeting and said, no more interviews unless it's set up through my office, by my office, and I'm in the room with you. Now, when you said come to Jesus meeting, with whom? Uh, everybody in the department from. I'm uh, talking about media wise. Oh, no, this was with our department. Within your department. With our department. It was from the administration, which was Larry and Kathy and that bunch, to Sandy Bell, to. To Bob Bradley, to anybody with basketball, nobody says a word about anything until we sign off on it. And and that became – we had to kind of circle the wagons, I guess you would say, Oscar, to, to kind of to, – to keep them from picking us apart. And so our saving grace was going to be the, the NCAA, um, uh, I guess, day that – that our administration and, and Dr. Todd at the time, who was now in charge – um, was going to go up to, um, was going to go up to, to the NCAA office and, and state our case. And I don't think things went as well there. And I think there was some division within our own ranks, uh, from what I was told. And so, um, some people started kind of pointing fingers and, uh, then, then that led Dr. Todd to, he kind of had no, had no choice but to make a change. And so, um, you know what? What hurt too was we all always remember Larry's quote that day at the at the uh, press conference or board member remember board meeting. You remember what he said? Something like, "Well, I don't. I won't paraphrase. He said, I'll let you." He, he, yeah, he was. Well, the question to him was, uh, "What do you think uh, you'll deserve after all this is over, or something?" Larry and Larry goes, "Well, a raise." And Dr. Todd's over going, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? He didn't do and I think Larry was so nervous and so surprised by the question, he just kind of tried to make light of the situation but didn't do such didn't a good job. Didn't have a good job. choice of words. Right, right. So, it, you know, it, it's interesting. He, it was unfortunate because Larry deserved better. Um, again, he inherited a bad situation. It actually started before CM left. Uh, and it all came down. Um, to Jack Flig retiring. If you remember Jack Flig, Jack was uh, had come in under CM. He was over football. He was on Bill Curry's mm-hmm. staff mm-hmm. initially. He'd stayed as the assistant AD and was kind of that father figure to Hal Mummy. Mm-hmm. And he was ready to retire and go stick his feet in the sand somewhere. And so he steps down. And things are good here. Let's remember. I mean, we got the air raid, which was really the air raid. We have – you know, we're beating Alabama. We got all the fun stuff happening at, at football, and uh, people are loving it. And it's real easy when, you're, when your uh, head coach comes and goes, hey, I want to put my recruiting coordinator in, or I want to put, uh, yeah, you know, my recruiting coordinator, Claude Bassett, in charge of uh, as the assistant AD for football. Is that cool with you? Well, sure. Everything's going well. You're doing good. Let's do it. How much did the division within the staff play in all this? Division within what staff? The football coaching staff. Oh, well, soon as uh, – I mean, soon as it, it – they were about like a band of pirates, you know, that as soon, soon as they figured out the, the boat were sinking, they were 
car jumping off left Yeah, but I mean, right. was it part of that actually the first torpedo? Well, part of it, but I, I think it was fl- taking Flig out of the equation where you had that stability and that seniority and that knowledge. And and now the, I don't want to say inmates, but now the, the guys that are just doing what they think they can do and are trying to compete for players with Alabama down in Memphis and using petty cash to do so uh, and interns to, to stuff the envelopes, I mean – you know, Alabama sure did bounce back from it a little bit better than we did. <laughs> you know, but it's just it 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 so, all just kind of tumbled down. And you you know, the, like you said, with Tony Franklin not getting along with Hal, I mean, the whole thing just kind of just I've never seen anything implode like that. So when Doctor Todd gets through making all of his changes and everything, he puts Terry Mobley in as an interim AD for about a year. Did that give the department any stability at all? It or? settled things down. Yeah, it did. And and in, in the process, he had um, a lady from over on campus come over, and we did a strategic planning uh, deal where he took the department heads from from the entire group and put us together in a in a session that went for months uh, of where we hashed out what do we want to be. And uh, I'd love to know where that document is today. Because uh, probably more of that's been carried out, and it was a document that was put together by folks like myself and Kathy DeBoer and Kyle Motes and 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 Bob Bradley and so forth and so on, and it and it addressed, you know, we always kind of had a two-tiered system under Cliff and CM and Larry, which was men's basketball and football need to compete for championships, and the rest of the sports, the other twenty sports that we produced you need to have a a real good experience make sure it's a great student athlete experience it was all about student life but that was before the sec tv network oh yeah and the big bucks yeah yeah, yeah. just much different that's a whole nother discussion but yeah yeah that you're looking at you're you're looking at 2000 and so he turns or 2001 now is when mobley's there and we've got this strategic planning session we take this whole deal and, and we we had arguments and, and like Kathy was against, uh, it was so funny because she was accustomed to how we were doing it, and we would not be able to afford doing it any other way. Because mm-hmm. remember, we've always operated in the black as an athletic department, and very proud to do so, and not taking any funds from on campus. In fact, giving funds back. We built, you know, back then we built the library for people. You know, we, they talk about the new Kim Fizz building that they just built recently, but built the, that big library over there was all built by athletic department funds. And, and other things on campus. So you, you look at, at how they had managed it, and we were all, for the most part, of the mindset, let's have a totally competitive program from top to bottom. And, and there were several of them, you can't afford to do that. <laughs> and daggone if that's not the first mission Mitch set out to do. You come to 2002, uh, university hires Mitch Barnhart to be the new AD. And in 2003, summer 2003, you leave the university. Was it time to leave? Was it an urge by you at your age to become an entrepreneur, part of each, all of the above? I, you know, I, I loved it, and I, I was planning to move up. Um, and then up never kept surfacing because of the three ADs in four years, basically. And so under Ivy, I was hoping to move up more in the administration level. I wasn't set out to – I didn't want to be an AD at the time. I just wanted to be play a bigger role. And um, it, it's funny, Oscar, because Mitch came in and did something that not a lot of administrators were doing back then. He brought five – four or five people with him, and that was kind of unheard of. And, and um, so all of a sudden I had somebody over me again. Other than the AD. Yeah. I didn't have a direct report anymore. And I'm like, man, this is my, you know, I'm, I'm in late thirties now. And I feel like this has kind of stymied my career for about five years. I told Mitch this after the fact too. And he thought I left mad and he got mad because he thought I was trying to be disloyal. And I wasn't that at all. It's just, I, I just wanted to either move up or out. And I had sought out a couple NBA jobs uh, VPs of PR and all that. Um, it just hadn't worked out up to that point. And as it turned out, 
I had an opportunity to bounce. Rick Avar, who I'd worked closely with, it's uh, Coach Patino's part, business partner, Jamal Mashburn's business partner, and and also is in partnerships with Delk and McCarty and Mercer and some of them. Um, I'd worked that season in 2003 to bring back Mash and Delk for our 100th anniversary of UK basketball celebration, and they were two of the five most favorite fan voted players of all time mm-hmm. our star five it was you know those two Issel, goose and macy yeah. and uh and i'd those two were still playing in the nba so it was going to be problematic getting them back and i'd work to get a private jet and i was doing all this st- stuff to get them back here for that uh that stuff in between games wasn't even going to be the all-star break oscar and so it was going to be hard but i started talking to avar and i had the opportunity to that when it's all said and done, he called me after the season, or actually at the SEC tournament, and said, "Hey, got a business opportunity for you. I'd love to talk to you about." I said, "Can I wait about another month till we're done in the postseason play?" And he goes, "Oh, sure." So uh, after that was over, I, I went and met with Rick Avar and had the opportunity to bounce out in private business, and um, just thought, at the worst case scenario, Oscar, I'd learn something, and I could get back into college athletics at a higher level which is where I wanted to be. I I wanted to be in college athletics at a higher level, and it wasn't happening quick enough for me, given what all we had gone through um, there at UK. And so I thought, you know, let me go out and learn something new, and I can get back in and maybe do a little bit more. And I haven't looked back, haven't haven't had the interest to get back in college athletics. Private business has worked out pretty well. Uh, You – Game seven sports, I think, was That's the what name we started, yep. That's what we and started. And then you sold that? Yeah, well, actually, uh, Avar and MASH owned it, and um, I bought it from them uh, about four years into it and then um, wanted to do more in basketball. And because of Coach Patino's relationship, they it may, I put them in an awkward situation from time, time to time or uncomfortable. So I was able just to take it out on my own because they saw where I wanted to take it, which didn't really align with where they wanted it to be. Everybody has friends. Everybody has enemies. Yeah. So, but they got it, and, and I, I, so grateful because I learned so much from Rick and Jamal, and at the same time, they let me go do my thing with it. And so I took it. We sold part of it to a guy named Jonathan Blue in Louisville. Uh, Jonathan, you know, is is pretty good businessman up there, real estate and other investments. Uh, he's on the board at U of L, and uh, sold it to them. Uh, and Jonathan, Jonathan's real, real tight with. Rick, I mean, one of his closest supporters. Big and supporter. Got a, and he's got a brother that's sort of a unique situation. His brother Todd, who who's also from Louisville, does a lot of business down in Houston, is one of Coach Cal's fa- best friends. Would you consider them competitive siblings? They are very competitive. They, they at times won't talk to each other. Uh, and Jonathan, if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> but they they're just uh, they're competitive siblings. They have different interests. Uh, with, without question, but they're both brilliant individuals. Uh, went to Penn, educated at Wharton School of Business, that that type of, of business acumen. So Jonathan was doing a roll-up of a number of small companies to create a bigger sports agency. I'd never been on the agency side, but we, we sold into that, uh, became part of this bigger platform, uh, and in 2010 sold the whole thing to Lagadere, which is a uh, publicly traded company out of Paris, France who wanted to get a foothold into the U.S., and they came through one of our clients, which was Andy Roddick. Uh, but we had tennis, NFL, NBA. We had representation. We were still running kind of an events division of this bigger company. Stayed with them for two years and then was able to get out uh, and do my own thing starting in 2012, which is just me, and it's BD Global. And you're really attached to a lot of basketball games each year. We did our most this past year. We did 127 post uh 127 regular season games. Some of those were even women's tournaments, all Division I. Uh, we even started last March a new postseason event to try to compete with the NIT. We wanted to make it a, uh, almost the Sweet 16 model like we do at, at, at RUP, take everybody to one spot. You only, We only got eight takers. So that didn't last. We're still looking at that, and we think we may bring it back in the future in a different way. But tr- trying to, we'll, we'll try to do some revolutionary things in, in the space of college basketball. You, you go to some exotic places for Thanksgiving. 
Yes, Fort Myers, Las Vegas. Uh, we're going to add Vancouver to to our destination Does the location. Family get to go with you. They usually show up at one of those okay. one of those spots. They like to go Florida where the where it's warm. But now our most recent thing, Oscar, is we've gotten into the PGA Tour space. So we're running two web.com tour events in the Bahamas, which is the young guys that are trying to make the tour. And then uh, maybe bringing uh, going to try and bring a PGA Tour event back to Lexington in the near future. So uh, working in that space as well. As a uh, alumnus of UK, what what do you see the state of the Kentucky basketball program today into the future? As of today, it's one of the very best programs in America. Um, you know, it's it is a times have changed, kids have changed, rules have changed. Um, it's obviously the one and done, and there's no other coach that can make, actually make it work like John Calipari can make it work. Um, He's been very successful with it, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Uh, does he get the itch to leave and go to the league or go somewhere else? I, you know, I always say there's no place else in college basketball to go once you've been to the top of the mountain. Um, to the NBA, there's always that allure. Uh, like, you know, at the end of the day, him and Coach P were, used to be very, very close. And to me, Coach Cal mirrored and tried to imitate a lot that Coach P has done and has been very successful. Both of them have, crazily so. And what Coach Cow was so well at doing was to not make the missteps that Coach Patino has made. And and that's just... Now, uh, you're referring to missteps that Coach Patino made that he hasn't made here or somewhere else? Correct. Made here... Really throughout his career, some of the major ones that Coach P's had to endure that Coach Cal has avoided for whatever reason. And, and I think he's watched. I mean, you know, again, when I first got this job in the summer of 95 at Kentucky, you know, six weeks later, I go to Italy with the basketball team. We make this foreign tour. And I room with one of your columnists. He wasn't really a columnist, but he was quite the character. Again, a Dickens novel, and that's Jersey Red. And it was supposed to be my wife in the room, but I got hired so late that he had already invited Jersey to go. So now I got a room with this dude that snores like a freight train. I recorded it on a recorder one day and played it on the bus. Coach Patino thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. I didn't sleep for 12 nights, Oscar, because of Jersey Red. Well, who called the room every single day, regardless of which city, which hotel we were in in Italy? John Calipari at UMass. To Jersey Red. To Jersey Red to check on him. The same friendship that Coach Patino had started, Coach Cal had. I'm telling you, there's a lot of similarities between the two. What was the lure that would cause him to befriend those two or those two to befriend him? Well, I, 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 know, I know the stories on it because he coached there when, when Jersey was running the fraternity and Rick – Played there, right? He was a cook. He was, he was a cook, an alcoholic cook. That Rick pulled him up and said, "You're going to straighten up," and he did. Yeah. Well, I think I don't know what Jersey's <laughs> Jersey just needed a life, right? But for for Cal and Coach P, I think Jersey provided that entertainment you couldn't get anywhere else. Well, let me just say this along the same <laughs> lines that you were here when Jersey started writing the column for me, which was, I guess, Rick's second year here. He calls me up one day, and he said, I've got four or five friends I'd like to send a comp to. I said, sure, just give them to me. And he wrote them down, and I gave them to my wife, and she put them on. Years later, I find out that one of those five names he sent in was John Calipari. Really? Yes. And John got the cat's paws from 1992 through, I guess it was 96, that he was at UMass. And you talk about sidestepping some of the puddles. Yeah. You remember the segment or the episode of the Andy Griffith Show where this kid comes from the service and he decides he's going to locate, retire in Mayberry, mm -hmm. and he knows everything about everybody and they get concerned, and they think, hey, there's something strange going on here. And he finally confessed to them that he knew something about all of them because he was reading his buddy's hometown newspaper. Exactly right. 
Exactly. Right. It, it's just so funny because Oscar, the only the major difference between the two of them is one's from New York and one's from Pittsburgh. But they're both Italians. Both Italians, but if you're not out of New York, there's a little bit of a less of an edge to you, and that's what Cal has, in my opinion. He's he doesn't have that New York brashness about him. I mean, he's got everything else, but that little lack of an edge to him makes him even more lovable to the Kentucky fans. I'm surprised, were you, when you heard that Cal was having Rick to do a podcast with him? Not surprised. It, the whole thing, I think, is generated more by our media or fans or, or Matt Jones, who has no idea the relationship between the two guys. These two guys really loved each other. They were best buds, friends. You should have seen us talk after the UMass game when they beat us in freaking Detroit in that year. They were palling around. But you get them at Louisville and at Kentucky, and it's hard. They cannot be friends. They're not allowed to be friends anymore. It's like written somewhere or something. I could, I, I could not disagree with you well, more. Well, I'm just telling you. you tell I me mean, what you think, Oscar. I think they are bitter enemies, bitter, bitter enemies. When do you think that started? Well, you know, uh, I know it started when they both were here. In other words. Uh, both in Kentucky? Both in Kentucky. But having a little bit of a being privy to a little few conversations over the past seven or eight years. It started before. I, I, I think a lot of it started, I don't know who's right or who's wrong, but with the line of how Cal got the job at UMass, there probably were some I don't think it was there. Close, you're close. Because, because in 2012, Sports Illustrated did an article and quoted Bob Markham. Yep the AD at Mass, that contradicted some of the things that Rick had said. It took off at Marshall. Yeah, it finished up at Marshall up here. Yes. Um, Bob did. Cal, and I do know there's been a couple of issues that popped up at UMass after Cal became successful as well there. Okay. Because prior to that, Rick had been the last big successful coach at UMass, right? And so now Cal comes back and restores him to glory with Marcus Camby. And – you know, there's situations that arise. But see, that's that. that's '97. That's many years before yeah. Cal pops up at Kentucky. But like I said, those are little things that just start popping. To your point, yeah, in Kentucky, like I said before, I think if you separate, if you took one to Indiana and one to Tennessee, right now, they'd be back being best buddies again. I'm telling you, it's they're they're so alike. That's probably part of the problem. I I think they're fierce competitors. I think without question what probably got Coach P into some of his situation currently was because he told his staff, I cannot keep losing kids to Kentucky. We've got to do a better job on the recruiting trail. And so they instituted some stuff at the dorm they shouldn't have. Swear he never knew about it because he would have have blown a gasket because I saw how he handled similar situations in Lexington when he found out about it. But in this particular case, those two guys – respect and at times are very competitive but i'm just telling you <laughs> several conversations with jersey red and i and i say several five or six because that's all i've had with him since he left kentucky but he gave me quite a bit of information on the relationship too being involved with it sure your biggest thrill of the time you spent at kentucky Biggest thrill of my time I spent at Kentucky. Wow. Um, Your employment career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I know. It, 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 I had so many great deals going on there, Oscar. I mean, I, I still remember trying to play golf the day I got the job. Uh, you know, I got the job. I got offered the job in Owensboro by Coach Patino at the executive end uh, because they had camp down there that summer. Father Bradley, bless it. It may have. Uh, at least toasted it, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, we're we're. Uh, I get the job because we have the state baseball final four, and I'm the SID for the KHSAA. It's in Owensboro, and that's where I do my interview. And um, and Coach Patino hires me there in the hotel. And I went out to play golf with with uh, Lewis Stout, Mike Fields from the Herald Leader, and maybe Bob White or something from the Courier Journal before the the games that night. And I, I can't hit the ball, I can't swing, I can't play a lick of golf because I am just 
I'm going to the Big Blue, and that is the greatest achievement I thought I could ever make was just getting a chance to work for Kentucky basketball. Biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment at Kentucky. Hmm. Boy, I tell you, it was hard leaving. And and um, and, and I told Mitch, you know, when I was leaving, I, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't that kind of deal. I mean, I really loved that program. I loved getting up every single day and going into there and and, and being the spokesperson for athletics and, and especially men's basketball and, and all we had accomplished. I mean, we go to three straight Final Fours, win two national championships, my first three years there. Uh, I tell them everybody, that I'm, I'm the good luck charm. <laughs> and uh, uh, forget all the, the greatest of all time and the draft picks. But, but uh, you know, it, it was tough when – I'd say when Larry got fired, that hurt because Larry's a good guy at the end of the day and, and had been loyal to me, and I hated to see him go out for someplace he had, you know, he had worked there since 66 or 68, started in student housing and moved to athletics and, and had been, like I said, that loyal servant and d- deserved a, 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 an honest chance and didn't really get it. And so he goes out, Mitch comes in, Mitch and I hit it off great, but Mitch did what he had to do and he hired, you know, hired a bunch of people and, and I just felt I was just I was just bummed because I couldn't be, I couldn't be that number four or five guy. I couldn't be that that, that right hand. And and looking back now, I understand. I mean, Dr. Todd's mission to Mitch Barnhart was change the culture, and Mitch had to go do that. And guess what? Guess who had a relationship with Larry Ivy, the the ex guy, Brooks Downing. So that makes it kind of tough. And I get that now. I didn't get it then. If you had anything to do over again during your time at Kentucky, what would you go back and do differently? Or is there anything you would do differently? Not sure. You know, that job, Oscar, doesn't allow you to do a lot of planning. It's reaction. And because you are 365 days a year working for UK basketball and UK athletics. I think one of my funnest deals was actually football-related, Oscar, when Rich Brooks got hired. So – we're hiring Rich Brooks, and I didn't know who Rich Brooks was. I wasn't a West Coast football guy. And so if you remember, and if you ever go back and look at the press release we put out, it was my whole statements for Mitch was, who is Rich Brooks? Let me tell you. Boom, 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 boom. I had it bulleted out. Mm-hmm. This is what he's done. Because you've got to educate the Kentucky football fan on who this guy is. Well, that weekend before, we're on the, her- the, the search, and everybody's trying to find out. I mean, I'm getting two weeks before I'd got – calls on Christmas Day at home. My wife's going nuts. Can he just leave you alone on Christmas? And here we are playing Louisville in Freedom Hall. All right? (laughs) In Freedom Hall, halftime, phone rings on the scorer's table asking for Brooks Downing. And so UofL has to come down and grab me. I go over there and get on the phone. It's Jim Nance from CBS. He's doing the halftime show for the NFL playoffs or last regular season game and goes, um, goes, uh, hey, Brooks, uh, I need to talk to you about Rich Brooks being your next football coach. Uh-huh. He goes, uh, you got time to call me? I said, well, I can't talk to you about it right now. Obviously, I'm right in the middle of this basketball game. But um, how do you know his daughter works for us? I went, Oh, <laughs> so she, was, I said, she was doing an NFL game that day. Yes. And so I said, uh, Jim, you just let me get through the game today. I'll drive home. I'll call you back. So we get through with the game and I called Mitch. I said, Mitch, I found a, I found a way to sell this through. He goes, what do you mean? I said, we're not waiting on Monday. This was Saturday. I think Saturday afternoon. We're not waiting on Monday to announce him. I'm going to leak it today to Jim Nance on CBS. And he goes. You didn't tell him that he already knew it, though. He goes. What do you mean? He goes. His daughter works. He knows. No, I did tell him. He does know. He said his daughter. He's just looking for confirmation. And I said, I said, Mitch. After all we've been through on this hire, um, with Guy Morris, let's go ahead and put it out on national TV by Jim Nance versus in the Herald Leader on a on a press release and a press conference and a local media. And he goes, I like it. Do it. So I call Nance back up, and I say, Jim, uh, it's true. We're going to announce it Monday. He goes, you don't mind if I go with it? Nope. When are you going to go with it? Because I want to tell Mitch to watch. And so uh, 
I remember Gene down at the Herald Leader, he didn't take too kindly of that because he knew we were up to collusion on that deal. But uh, I think it worked out pretty well for us. Let me just get you to make a short comment, phrase, five or six words about these different people that was part of or around UK at the time. Hmm. Chris Cameron. Um, I wouldn't be here today if, if I never, uh, had never had the chance with Chris Cameron and got to learn under him. He's best in the business and sports information. Bob Bradley, uh, class act. Um, uh, you know, he set the standard for, ath- uh, athletics tutorial system systems in, in all of college sports, and I don't think he quite gets the credit today that he's due. Tim Asher. Uh, one of my favorite people, one of my best friends. He, he's one of the roadie guys, him and Dave Kendi and Scott Mayer, the team doc. I mean, we were just uh, the little pack with the basketball team, and, and Tim, uh, as the video guy, I don't think there's anybody that's ever worked and loved doing what they do more than Tim Asher on the video side. Frank Vogel. Still can't believe he's been an NBA coach <laughs> two different teams. I mean, but the dude, now that you look back and you see him, he came in as a manager. He came in specifically to learn at Kentucky under Coach P. He goes and becomes a video coordinator at the Celtics. And now he's been, you know, in the playoffs. He's coaching Orlando. I mean, it's just, it's the biggest head scratcher of all time. But I love him to death. Great guy. James Dickey. I uh, love Coach Dickey. Uh, hated to see him uh, leave University of Houston. He was playing in some of our events down there that we run now. Um, obviously went back to – he had some family issues, needed to get back up in Oklahoma and, and was helping out there with Travis there for a while until Travis lost his job and went to St. Louis. But uh, Coach Dickey, class act, loved him to death. Jimmy Dykes. Uh, Jimmy Dykes, I liked him a lot better as a, a student assistant than I did as a broadcaster. I thought he tried to get too fluffy. Now I guess he'll be broadcasting again uh, now that it, the Arkansas deal is over with. Eddie Sutton. Uh, Eddie. You know, he um, wish it had worked out better for him. Billy Donovan. Uh, love Billy Donovan. If – if uh, Coach Cal ever leaves, uh, he would be my first choice to replace him. Rick Pitino. Um, I I wouldn't be where I am today if he didn't give me a chance to work with Kentucky basketball. And at the end of the day, it was his decision because of the whole Joanne Hauser deal. CM wasn't going to hire his basketball SID. He let Coach P hire his basketball SID. And I didn't think I was getting that job. As a matter of fact, I was told I wasn't getting that job. And um, and if it hadn't been for Larry Ivy telling him to take one, telling Rick to take one more look at me, I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be working at Toyota. Tubby Smith, um, not a nicer guy. I wish he was my next door neighbor because he'd let me borrow stuff uh, and never bring it back. Um, hopefully, he finds the right fit. He keeps looking. Uh, nothing seems to work just like he'd like to. And I know he had a tough finish to the season after a great start to the season. I can't – I just hope he has a has a great finish to his coaching career over the next decade. Sam Newton. Uh, love him. He got me – he really got me started going down the path here uh, as an entrepreneur working in the college basketball space because of the introductions he made for me. I wasn't as close to him as an employee as I am today in business. And uh, uh, wish he was still in a little bit better health because um, I owe a lot to him, and I loved I loved being able to rely on him, and he was a very good resource for me. Some tough ones now. Mm-hmm. Van Florence. Um, uh, Van, Van was as uh, good as they come. I mean, he was like an angel. Uh, just everything he, he he could do for the basketball program, for people, for you as a person. Um, golly, I, I don't know how he lived as long as he did, and I can't believe he's not living today. Bill Kiley. Um, Mr. Bill. I first met him. I walked in as an intern, and it was popular back in those days um, for everybody to – it's the first time where you could go out and just – merchandise became popular in the college sports. 
So I think I showed up to set up the stat system for the UKIT in 1988, December of 88, my first day on the job setting up stats and computers, and I had a North Carolina sweatshirt on. Looking back was a really dumb thing to wear at a Rupp Arena. <laughs> and it didn't take but about 13 seconds for Kitely to call me out on it. And needless to say, I never wore anything else that said didn't say Kentucky on it after that. <laughs> but, you know, he loved it. I mean, we... Every more, I started my mornings with Kitely when I got to got to work, and we would solve the world the night's problems from the night before before we got to work. And so I, um, I, I just he he, I, I really wish um, he has still been with us because uh, he was such a big, uh, great friend, but even a bigger supporter of mine. Oscar hated to see me leave. Thought I made a mistake when I left. Um, and probably would have helped me do even more. I'm doing a thanks to Dwayne Peavy and Mitch. I'm doing a, a ton with them now, and and Coach Cal, and and uh, very appreciative of, of working with them on some of their stuff. But Kitely would have made life a little bit easier. He sure did back in the day. Kaywood Ledford um, taught me, like I said, class, um, debt, focus, um, how to work hard at every aspect of what you're trying to do. He taught me my first lesson in business, which was cash flow. I'm like, cash flow? What's cash flow? <laughs> and uh, once he taught me that, and then I got out in business, and I went, oh, now I know what cash flow is. It's something you need to stay yeah. in business. <laughs> cash flow, Brooksy, cash flow. <laughs> but uh, uh, Kaywood, I mean, I, I, I just hated the fact I only got to work two years with him until he retired. Same thing with some players. Walter McCarty. Uh, Walt, Walt's uh, one of my favorites of all time. Wayne Turner. Burner. Burner's uh, Burner is so cool because when he came out of the south side of Boston, and if you know about that part of Boston, it's just he was right out of the hood now. And I had to take him and do media training with Oscar because he just, just couldn't handle it very well. And um, he goes, well, I said, why do you just get so nervous when the guys gather around you? He said, man, they just be grilling me, Brooks. <laughs> so by the time he left here, he was a very polished professional behind the mic, and I take a lot of credit for that. I love Wayne Turner. Jamal Mashburn. Uh, I mean, him and Rick Avar gave me a huge opportunity to get into business. I already loved Mash as a player. I loved him as a person. I love him more as a businessman. Antoine Walker. Uh, one of the funniest individuals I've ever been around, full of character. I'm glad to see he's doing uh, TV now on the SEC Network. I think he's got a very bright future on broadcasting. Anthony Epps. Uh, Anthony caused me a lot of heartache back in the day. He was always skirting the you know situations uh, on that program. Uh, it's it's funny because you know Michaela just graduated his daughter and she had a few issues along the way and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> the best part about it, they're good people. Anthony's one of the best people you can ever meet. I've known him since his high school days. Um, good to see that he's doing well down there. She had a great career. She'll be in the Hall of Fame out here at some point in four or five years. It, good stuff. Tony Dell. Uh, TD is, I mean, TD's just good. He, he, everything he does is good. He's a sharp young man. He's, he, he presents well. He, he's all class. He's just got a certain coolness about him. Most don't. Cameron Mayles. One of my favorite people in life. Uh, you know, I've known Cameron since he was a freshman at Dunbar. I used to do the games, the PA at Dunbar games when Dunbar first opened and I got to meet Cameron. I got to, you know, uh, Darnell Burton that went on to play at Cincinnati and that bunch. I've known I wrote Cameron's book uh, after he graduated, so uh, I love me some Cameron. Keith Bogans. Uh, I haven't kept up with Keith. Keith was, like I said, Keith was a little hard to handle. Uh, just loved to pick on folks. Um, probably not one of my favorites. Loved him as a player, but that's about, about it. Mark Pope. Uh, Pope. Pope. Pope is probably one of the smartest players to ever play basketball. Probably should have gone in, and now he's coaching. Should have done something better with his life than coach basketball. He should have been like a, you know, big time attorney or a physician or something else. He, he's wasting his brain cells. Jeff Shepard. 
one of the nicest guys, biggest Kentucky fan, married a Kentucky basketball player himself. Uh, Shep is is all that and more, and and I think um, we should we should. Cameron ought to be doing stuff on the radio for the UK Radio Network, and Shep ought to be on more commercials. Nazi Mohammed. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that's ever done more uh, to play pro basketball than Nazi Mohammed. I can remember coming back in 98 from winning the national championship game, having a team meeting in the weight room uh, where our, our team meeting room was, and coming out of the team meeting, talking about what we're going to do, and Nazi going over to our strength coach, Tommy Boyd, and going, hey, Tommy, I need to get a workout in. This is the day after winning the national championship. This is after being at Rupp Arena and, and hanging another banner like an hour later, and he's wanting to get a workout in, and Boyd's going, I'm going to go celebrate. Jim's yours. <laughs> and sure enough, Nazi goes to work out. I mean, he became that dedicated to becoming a basketball player unlike anybody I've ever seen. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Oscar. For more episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, oscarcombs.com is the place you need to be. You can also subscribe to Conversations through the Google Play Store and through iTunes. Search Ed Wildcat News and subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. To keep up with Oscar, it's easy. Follow him on Twitter. He's at Wildcat News. Again, our thanks to Brooks Downing for taking the time to sit down and chat with Oscar. I'm Bo Robinson thanking you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs.